I'm Alan Sepinwall. I'm the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone, which is a fancy way of saying that I watch TV for a living. But there are so many TV shows being made now that even I can't watch all the ones I want to. But what if you didn't have to binge an entire series? What if you just looked at the very first episode of a show you'd never seen, and then the very last? Would you feel like you'd gotten the whole experience, or would you be completely lost at the end? Well, there's only one way to find out. Welcome to a new episode of Too Long Didn't Watch. As our guest today, I am so pleased to welcome author, actress, writer, director, mogul, and as Hannah Horvath on Girls, she was maybe, possibly, kind of, sort of, a voice of a generation. Lena Dunham, thank you so much for joining us today. This is an honor I couldn't think of a more fun assignment to be given, honestly, especially by my favorite person who watches TV for a living. Thank you. Alan Sepinwall, you hold a very, very special place in my heart. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. What have you been watching lately during the quarantine? Let's see. The first show that I watched all of during the quarantine was Feel Good, the Mae Martin show on Netflix. Love it. That's love great. it. Love her. Think she's really remarkable, special. Love the way it kind of toggled between sitcom and super raw, edgy romance. Felt like I hadn't seen a queer romance done that way before. I watched Unorthodox, which I thought was beautiful. And that actress is going to have like the career of the century. Now, a lot of the guests that we've had on here have said that they're watching slightly different kinds of shows because of what's going on out in the world. Some of them can't really handle heavy subject matter as much. I would say that even Unorthodox was a little challenging because I think the news by itself, we don't need any more. Like, I don't want to watch a true crime thing. I don't want to watch a documentary. But yes, I agree. Like my usual appetite for, you know, staying up till 7 a.m. watching Zac Efron play Ted Bundy has completely dissipated. So fortunately, we're going to watch a lighter show today than some of the other ones we've chosen. Lena, what show are we doing? We're doing Cheers because it's a show that I'm constantly referencing without even knowing I'm referencing it. And guess what? We all need a little bit of cheer sometimes. It's Sam and Diane time, kids. So ordinarily, one of the things we like to ask guests is why they didn't watch the show when it originally aired. You have a good excuse because it debuted several years before you were even born. And I think it ended when you were in like first or second grade. Yeah, I had a good excuse, which it was on before I was born and then past my bedtime. I will say that I remember it being on in the background when I was a kid. Like my parents would have it on in the background or my grandparents I remember feeling what I now understand to be horniness for Ted Danson, although I did not have (laughs) words for it. Like Sam, like slinging his drinks with his like loose button down. Like I was like, oh, wow. So, yes, I had an awareness of Cheers, but I was a big taxi watcher because trivia fact, Andy Kaufman was my mom's best childhood friend and they knew each other really well until he died. Oh, wow. So we watched a lot of taxi in my house because my mom was really proud of Andy and considered it to be appropriate childhood programming. Here's what I can say before we start. Cheers ran for 11 seasons on NBC. It made 275 episodes. Can you imagine That's making 275 psycho. episodes? Everything that James Burroughs is involved in makes like too many. I mean, not too many in that we enjoyed them, but just like more episodes that I can fucking handle. Now, it's also an interesting story in that it was one of the very lowest rated shows on TV in its first season. It was 74th out of 77 shows in prime Whoa. time. And, Whoa. and it eventually became the highest rated show on television, uh, I think, in its ninth season. So it had an upward trajectory. Cheers started out as something you could dismiss and it ended as something that you could not ignore. Exactly. From afterthought to juggernaut. Like me, whenever I date someone. <laughs> 
You mentioned Taxi before, and it was actually created by two taxi writers, the brothers Glenn and Les Charles. Yep. Uh, it made stars out of Ted Danson, Shelley Long, Kirstie Alley, Woody Harrelson, and Kelsey Grammer, among others. It brought Rhea from Taxi. Exactly, yes. It brought it brought Rhea from Taxi and a number of other taxi people pop up at different times. Like Christopher Lloyd plays a key role in a two-parter in, in a later season. It's one of the most acclaimed sitcoms of all time. It won 28 Emmys over the years, including multiple wins for Best Comedy for Ted Danson, Rhea Perlman, and B.B. Newirth. So what do you think, Lena? You ready to go where everybody knows your name? I'm so ready. And one time I ran into B.B. Newirth in the lobby of my old building in New York City, and I truly felt like I had been blessed by the Broadway gods. So anytime her name is mentioned, I'm ready to go where she's going. Excellent. Let's do it. Are you Sam? Yes, he's here. This is one of the best gags of all time. Like, whoever decided his mouth should be full of food when he says no, 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 it's just like... Because it's not necessary, but then it turns into the great he's at mime school joke. I'll I'll take a message. Yep. (laughs) Um, I think what happened is he, uh... Now, look. This is so good. (laughs) And at this moment, you can already tell that Sam and Diane have this, like, bipolar tension between them. Where they live their lives yeah. in completely opposite ways. But what I love is that he fi- seems to find her so bemusingly adorable yet dorky. And she seems to find him so impossibly uncouth. I love her laugh. I know. She's perfect. Also, the combination of Rhea and Shelley Long, it's literally like putting a Chihuahua and a Great Dane together. Like, you know they're from the same species technically, and they're both incredible examples of that species, but they're not the same. You need a job. You like the people here. You think that they like you. Nothing. I love when she says that triumphant nothing. Because I love a female character. It's it's so, my favorite female character is Mary Tyler Moore, Carrie Bradshaw, Mindy Kaling. Every one of my favorite TV disasters are the ones who just like are so proud of themselves that it's a huge problem. So sad. She's working so hard. These people all think she's such a dork. She's just so good at playing this blowhard. Like this, like, and I love that they made the blowhard a woman. And that they gave her the opportunity to be this dorky egghead who thinks she's better than everyone. (laughs) My favorite joke in the pilot is when her boyfriend quotes a poem and he's like, love speaketh from the tongue, blah, blah, blah. That's done. And Sam goes, I sure hope it is. And he's like, no, the poet, John Dunn. (laughs) (laughs) It's very erudite. So that that was the Cheers pilot. Um, before we talk about like what you thought of it, for the benefit of the people who did not just spend 24 minutes watching it, what happened? Okay, so if I were going to give you the basics, there's this woman named Diane. She's about to marry. She walks into this bar called Cheers where a man named Sam is tidying the bar. You can see he's kind of just a bedraggled but cheerful bar owner. This woman walks in and she's with this older man who's a professor and they announce that they're going to Barbados that day to get married. But he just wants to go get his grandmother's antique gold ring from his ex-wife, Barbara. And he's gonna leave her down in the bar with some champagne and he's gonna go get the ring from Barbara. And so she stays at the bar And she's got kind of an attitude towards Sam and an attitude towards all the people. And the people in the bar are nosy and they're all trying to figure out what she's doing there. There's a sequence in which 
an older guy who works at the bar tries to figure out if she's a hooker. There's a sequence in which she goes to the bathroom and Ted Danson reveals she's getting married that day and she comes back out and the whole place starts clapping. Basically, she's kind of being told by Sam, a.k.a. Ted Danson, Shelley Long is being told, like, your fiancé's not going to come back. He's going to see his ex-wife. This isn't going to go well. And she's like, don't be so negative. He comes back and he's like, Barbara's an amazing woman. She was so understanding. I can't go to Barbados with you. I'm too confused. She's lost. She no longer has a job because her job was with the professor she was about to marry. And Sam in a moment of benevolence. But you can also tell that he's attracted to this eggheady little intellectual offers a waitress job to Diane. And you can see it's going to be tension all the way down because there's employees like Rhea Perlman, who's like a working class woman with four kids the older guy who who plays the older guy in the bar. That's Nick Colasanto as coach. Nick Colasanto as coach. He's got an attitude of his own. We've got uh, George Went sitting at the corner of the bar, wasted out of his mind, pain in the ass, not in real life. Norm. In real life, he's lovely. Norm! So you can see that her academic seriousness is going to be in kind of constant push-pull. And you also learn over the course of the pilot that Sam is a former baseball player who basically was really, really good, but drank too much and lost his ability to play. He hasn't had a drink in three years, but he owns a bar that he says he kept for sentimental reasons. So even though he's a dry drunk or whatever, he's still keeping this bar and keeping all these people in business. And so he's kind of trying to play all sides So you can tell this is going to be an interesting union of personalities at the place where everyone knows your name. So what'd you think of it? I loved it. It was like the coziest thing I've ever watched in my life. The thing that really struck me about it was how high level the jokes were. Like, I think I expected it to be way more. I mean, not that there's a problem with this kind of humor, but I think I expected it to be way more Chuck Lorre and it's way more James L. Brooks. Like, it's way more like high level super intellectual. And I think I was really surprised by how many of the jokes lived at like a pretty academic place. But then there were also the ones that were kind of like out there for the crowd to grab. And there's something about watching something that takes place all in one room with people exiting and entering that has like the pace of a 30 slapstick play that just brings like this soothing pitter patter to your heart. And so I found it both joyful, comforting, and I plan to watch the whole thing. Were there particular characters you gravitated towards? Yes. I'm a huge Rhea Perlman fan. And so I want to know what her life is going to look like moving forward. And my hope is that she's going to be given real story. And it's not just going to be like her walking in every two seconds being like, fuck you. You know, I was I'm like, don't want to know. She's like, I got four kids at home. Like, I hope she gets to do a little bit. I also surprisingly loved Coach. Like, I'm not usually the one who's obsessed with like the gray haired grouch. And I adored him. And I'm also really curious to see how much they tease out the Sam and Diane romance versus how much they give to us, because I want to see those two people kiss. But I'm also excited because I love Kirstie Alley, and I know that she's coming in to kind of fuck things up. And I don't know if Woody Harrelson's also coming in to fuck things up. So I'm really excited about that. You said that you could already see some chemistry between Sam and Diane. I mean, this is a show that is credited with inventing the whole will they or won't they formula. Do you watch this episode and do you feel like you want to see them get together? It's all I want. Like, I want her to grab him across the table in this episode and give him a big old kiss because you can feel they have that real, like, 
unhand me, you ogre kind of thing, but like that she actually like loves him. And this brute needs like a smart woman to make him understand the beauties of the world. It's almost like every academic woman's fantasy, which is that she'd meet a guy who's tough, but ultimately sensitive. And every tough guy's fantasy, which is he'd meet a woman who's gorgeous, but ultimately like a genius you can bring home to your mother. And it's every audience's fantasy, which is those two people would get together. And the, the Charles brothers have said that one of their inspirations for doing this were like the, the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn comedies. It feels of the so much like this. It has that like Preston Sturgis snappiness. I was just recently watching that movie, The Awful Truth. And it just makes me think about that like snappy back and forth, late 30s, early 40s, like it's a divorce comedy where they're all trying to one up each other. Like it has that feeling to it and it's really strong. I couldn't help when I was sort of prepping to do this with you, I couldn't help seeing some parallels between this show and your work, specifically the idea of like you have the heroine is an intellectual who will sometimes talk too much about herself uh, and she has chemistry with a tall bohemian dude. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I have to say that I really thought of Hannah during that moment where she turns around and he says, what are you qualified to do? And with a big smile, she goes, nothing. And like that (laughs) is a very Hannah move, which is to try to like turn your weakness into a giant strength. And then also girls really kind of relish the idea, which is a very in your 20s idea. And I'm not really sure how old the people on Cheers are supposed to be. I feel like they're supposed to be in their early 30s, maybe. I think she's a bit younger. Like there's references to her, you know, being sort of a perpetual grad student. So she might be in like mid to late 20s. Well, there's some fantasy in your mid to late 20s that you're going to be kind of straightened out by some tough guy who's going to say like, you're being an idiot, get it together. And that is sort of the thing that I think Hannah was riding on with Adam the whole time, the thing you feel with like that barrel-chested Ted Danson of it all. And also you don't know because you're like, am I supposed to be with this like glamorous, older, professorial type who's everything I thought was told I was supposed to be with when I'm younger? Or am I supposed to chase this person who represents id a little bit more? Like, am I supposed to chase ego or id? And I recently rewatched most of the series with, with my teenage daughter. And one of the things we talked about a lot was how sort of uh, sexual mores have changed in the, the 40 years since the show debuted. So, for instance, in this episode, Sam hires a vulnerable woman he's attracted to to come work for him. Like, yeah. obviously, this was made in 1982. But how does that play to you now? Well, it's a really interesting thing. Like, this would be considered a huge and inappropriate power imbalance. And I wonder if there would be a way to tell this story now. What would be really interesting would be to tell this story in the reverse. And, like, a woman to know her patch for to be, like, I'm going to hire this guy. He needs a job. I'm a little attracted to him. But I understand this is appropriate. And so I'm going to draw a boundary. Like, there's lots of ways to do this now that actually, like, speak to like a a sexually healthy workplace, which I don't think they're necessarily nailing in Cheers. But I was also surprised that Cheers didn't have more like take a look at those legs and boobs jokes in it. Maybe they're coming, but I felt like other shows I watched from that period, even Mary Tyler Moore was like a little bit more objectifying of the female body. There is definitely some of that coming, including, I think, some jokes in the finale that we're going to watch together. But in, okay. the, in the pilot, they definitely managed to avoid that, which, which is a nice thing. Yeah. Now, you talked about sort of like how it had this, you know, screwball Preston Sturgis pace, and that's great. But one of the things that always strikes me about watching the early episodes like this one is 
there's also really room to breathe. Like there's some long, quiet scenes where it's just Sam and Diane and they're talking and they're not stopping to tell a punchline every five seconds. And it feels like you're watching a David Mamet play. It doesn't feel like you're watching a sitcom. And then suddenly it feels like you're watching a sitcom. So I agree with you that they like really play with the pace. And it is just amazing how many of these shows you see James Burroughs name at the end of. Like he just never stopped. The guy's a genius. He's a yep. real genius. Where would you guess the story goes from here? I feel like they really have to go slow with the Sam and Diane thing. And I don't know if they're going to Ross and Rachel it, where Sam and Diane get together season three, then get untogether season five, then get back together season 11. If I were to guess, I would guess that like Sam and Diane almost get together and then Kirstie Alley shows up and upends the whole thing and then they're together for a while and then ultimately Kirstie Alley is not the right person and in the last season and a half, Sam and Diane are together and start a family. Okay, interesting. Interesting. We'll have to find out which of this proves correct. Based on your first impression of just this episode, is there a character you would want to play? Yeah, if a gender wasn't an issue, I would want to be coach. I just think he has a really fun job of like coming in, being cranky. He gets to do the same thing every time, which is wipe down the bar, which is a very easy job. (laughs) He gets all the good lines. He wipes down the bar and he walks out. If we were going with gender, I'd want the Rhea Perlman part hands down. (laughs) Coach has maybe my favorite joke in the whole pilot where he answers the phone. It's like, is there an Ernie Pantuso here? That's you, coach, speaking. Yeah, that's that's the line I want. So if we decide to do a live read of this at any point, anyone does, put me up for Ernie Pantuso. I want the job. <laughs> now, is there a character from the show who you think one of your former co-stars would play really well? I mean, don't you think Alex Karpovsky would make a good Sam? Interesting, interesting. Don't you I think if we were going in like a modern, like Jewish direction that Alex Karpovsky <laughs> could really kill it as Sam? I'm basic, so I assumed you were going to say Adam Driver, but I can absolutely see Karpovsky doing it. No, verbally, Karpovsky's like verbally, he's got the wit, he's got the style, he can like upbraid anybody. He's handsome, he's witty, he's charming. I think he's the man for the job. Allison Williams could absolutely do Diane in her sleep, but I would rather see her do Rhea Perlman. I think we should all just play <laughs> Rhea Perlman. That would be great. Just like have a different Carla in every episode. Exactly. So, Lena, now we have watched the very first episode. Are you ready to go all the way to the end of season 11 to see the finale? It is technically three episodes. They all aired on the same night, 1993, and they all tell one story. So we're going to squeeze them all in. So let's do it. I love the credits. It's insane that they're not pictures of the people, that they're just like old fashioned pictures. But some of them really look like the people or at least evoke them. I know. The Woody Harrelson one gives you an energy. So does the Kelsey Grammer one. Yeah. Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience. Good evening, gentlemen. What mindless divertissement occupies your waiting attention spans tonight? Fuck, it's Frasier! <laughs> it is. Excellence in all facets of cable programming. I stand corrected. Are you watching for any particular category? Yes, the uh, most impressive display of female flesh in a uh, tight-fitting dress. <laughs> watching for well, there's a joke about female flesh in a tight-fitting dress. Yeah, they didn't make you wait for that one. No. I got that one wrong. I will say that this is something where it gets significantly worse on in that area late in the show. I'm never letting you go again, Rebecca. 
back or we go on the rest of the evening? That, at least that's a mutual kind of disgusting. We're going out to make love in the yes. to the public garden. <laughs> Couldn't you just eat us alive? She's pretending to. Yes! This is so good! She's helping me write a tales from the crypt. It's that simple. Very imaginative story. Did Frazier date her? Yes. No. No. Diane really has poor taste. Thanks to you, Sylvia Plath. <laughs> Diane and I are together again. As a matter of fact, we're, uh, we're getting married. Oh, my God. What's <laughs> happening? You're leaving us, Sam? Hey, you want to get off my case, fellas? Yeah, after all the cheerleading I've done for you guys, e even when I knew you were making mistakes. Oh, so you want us to return the favor? Yes, yes, I do. And I'm not making a mistake. The dancing is so goofy, you sometimes forget how actually technically handsome he is. Yeah, he can he can play to either end of that range. You know, he's he can be really goony or just super suave. The moment will be off. Isn't this the perfect beginning for our lives together? Taking flight. We'll be coming around the cabin to make sure you have everything you need. And for God's sake, Diane, you're a bright, alluring woman. I'm sorry, but that was way better done than the scene where Adam and I figure out that we're not ever going to be together, and now I'm jealous that I didn't do that scene. <laughs> we'll talk about more about that in a bit, definitely. Sorry, right. we're closed. And that was Cheers. Yes! God, that was such an existential ending. That was so much more of a Sopranos ending than a sitcom ending. Well, I want to talk about that because that's one of my favorite final scenes in any show. But first, for the benefit of the people who did not just spend an hour watching this three-part finale, what happened, Lena? Okay, so you guys heard about the pilot. I don't know what occurred over the 11 seasons. Once we hit season 11, Sam's still at the bar doing his thing. A new woman named Rebecca is around the bar working there, hanging there. She's getting proposed to by Tom Berenger, but she can't convince herself to say yes, even though she really wants to. And Dr. Fraser Crane, soon to have his own show, is a regular at the bar. Diane has moved to LA where she has written a screenplay that decides that she's gonna come to Boston and see him. She tells him she has a husband. He tells her he has a wife. They meet up. She brings her husband. He brings um, the new woman played by Kirstie Alley, who's working at Cheers to pretend to be his wife, but she's so beside herself about her breakup with Tom Berenger that she's not acting like a very good wife. Then in the middle of their lunch, Tom Berenger comes up, gets on one knee and says, I need to marry you right now. So, uh, so Sam's secret is revealed. But then the gay boyfriend, Diane's date, comes in and is like, how could you leave me in Palm Springs like that? Very funny joke. And so you realize that she's just taken a gay colleague as a favor. Sam and Diane spend the afternoon together, decide they're going to get married and get on a plane. Everyone at the bar feels very betrayed that Sam would leave them all after all these years for this woman who has hurt them and is not kind to them and thinks she's above them intellectually. And they get on the airplane and there's one of the great will they or won't they scenes where both Sam and Diane seem to hear the flight attendant and the pilot 
asking questions about whether the road is icy that turn into questions about whether they should be in the relationship. And then the plane turns around and they realize that they shouldn't. Sam heads back to the bar and there is a beautiful final scene where he asks if everyone wants to smoke a cigar with them. They say no. They're like, we don't, we have stuff to do. Then they come back in and say, surprise, we were just kidding. We'll always be here for you. And then there's like this beautiful existential scene between all of them where they talk about what life is all about. And then somebody comes to the door and Sam says, it's closed. And he starts straightening things up around in his little bubble of happiness at Cheers. And you recognize that it's going to go on ad infinitum like this at Cheers for the rest of time. (laughs) So how did you feel about this finale? I thought it was great. You know, I had some little quibbles with certain jokes that we would not care to hear now um, that were misogynistic or a little bit uh, racially charged or trafficking in stereotype. But I felt like they made some very non-traditional choices, particularly getting you to invest in a relationship over 11 seasons that they ultimately choose not to put the two characters in, which was something I thought a lot about on my show because people had a pretty strong feeling about two characters who should end up together. And I ended up making the decision to have them not end up together, but to have this kind of conversation where they come to the conclusion mutually and at the same time where they don't. And now I understand that clearly that's not something I invented. That's something Cheers invented, even though I didn't think I'd seen it. Yep. <laughs> so I think I think this show allowed itself some bravery and some depth and it didn't need to have the tidiness of say a friends which need to or how I met your mother which both needed to wrap themselves up. It let itself be messy and complicated and let its characters grow and um I thought it was beautiful. It's one of my favorite finales ever, especially the the final sequence with them on the plane and then Sam having the smoke session with the gang it's at the bar is just so, so lovely. It's so beautiful. And them on the plane scene is incredible because it's not angry and it's not hostile and it's not histrionic. They just realize that the reason they haven't been together after 11 years is because they're not supposed to be together. Now, I'm curious because you, you and I have talked about this in the past, but you started discussing it again. Was there ever a point in the end game of Girls where you thought maybe Hannah and Adam, we will end with them together? I think there was a point where viewers thought it. I think there was a point where writers in my room were pushing for it. But I think I always knew that it would not feel right to me. I always knew that it was a show where our lead female ending up with a male companion just wasn't going to feel okay to me. Now, it's, there's always this debate. It's been going on basically since this show was created uh, of this question of, like, do happy couples ruin sitcoms? And so Sam and Diane, they get together, then they break up. Well, it happens on lots of other shows. Ross and Rachel broke up a oh, million times Ross before they get up in the finale. I was watching Friends last night, and I could not believe the amount of times Ross and Rachel split up and got back together within the course of, like, six episodes. Now, do you think, based on only having seen two episodes, one of them very long, that Sam and Diane should have ended up together? No, because I think that Diane didn't feel fully understood by Sam, and Sam didn't feel fully understood by Diane, and that maybe they had some hot chem that came from being different, but that ultimately it's not healthy to be with someone who doesn't understand huge swaths of your personality. And so I think it feels really, really right that he loves her and he feels protective of her and they're not right for each other. And you can feel that with all of your might, even as you know that they take pleasure in each other. So Shelley Long was returning to the show. She had not been back in six seasons. She leaves at the end of season five and and Kirstie Alley had come in in her stead. Obviously, you didn't see anything that happened in between. But how did Diane of this finale seem to you compared to the woman you met in the pilot a couple of hours ago? It's funny because this Diane, I actually almost would have expected more change. This Diane was almost just like 
the same overconfident, braggadocious, like florid language Diana's before. It's just that now she had more to put behind it. She actually had some real world success. She was able to buy a fancier outfit and blow out her hair and act like a superior. So it was like, I would have expected her time at the bar would have made her more of a down ass chick. And that is not what we're getting from Diane at all. Did Sam feel different to you after all this time? Yeah, Sam felt like someone who had been doing the work. I mean, they drop references to him going to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. You know, the idea that he's sober, that he's like constantly, quote unquote, doing the work. Yeah, no, he's definitely the last, uh, especially the last half season or so of the show, they do a lot of kind of deconstructing of the myth of Sam Malone. So it starts out like the other guys in the bar are living vicariously through his sexual exploits. And at a certain point, the show starts acknowledging it's at, this is really kind of sad. And especially as he's getting older, it's getting very, it's very getting sad. sad and unhealthy. And what I love is that Sam Malone is like he starts to understand that it's sad and unhealthy. But at the same time, like it, it gets very mature in that way. But there's other things you noted when we were talking about the premiere, how you appreciated there wasn't really much sexist ogling. And, and this episode opens. opens with sexist <laughs> ogling. And it's and then I was like, wow, well, at least that Sam's not getting involved. And then he walks in and he's like, yeah, that Kim's got gorgeous pins. Frazier was obviously a new cast edition. There was Woody. Woody comes in in season four because Nick Colasanto unfortunately passed away while they were filming season three. No, coach. But I like that they replaced coach with this young dude. That's cool. Yeah, and it shouldn't work because it's basically like younger, handsomer coach. And yet it does because Woody Harrelson is a really great actor. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you only got to see the very tail end of Kirstie Alley's time on the show as Rebecca, but what did you think of her? I mean, she's histrionic. Her straps of her dress won't stop falling down. Her hair's in her face. She seems drunk 24-7. I couldn't have loved her more. She's really fascinating because they introduce her on the show after Diane leaves, and Rebecca is this corporate ice queen who has taken over the bar, and Sam is hot for her, and she is not the least bit interested in him. She fends him off over and over for maybe half a season. Then at a certain point, I think the writers realize that Kirstie Alley is really funny playing a hot mess, and they lean into that. Love it. One of the things that I really love about this finale is on the one hand, like you say, you know, life is just going to go on and on, and he's going to run the bar forever. And on the other, they do have that one sequence in the middle where everyone starts marching into the bar and standing on the steps and announcing. They're like, I'm married. We're getting married. I'm the new city council person. I've got a job. Look at me. I work for the city. And the only person who doesn't really have something to announce is Sam because he decides he's going to marry Diane and then quickly proves that he is not going to marry Diane. It's a nice bit of having your cake and eating it, too, because it does a lot of the momentous things that you often expect from series finales, and then the last scene is just about how life goes on and the bar will always be there and and Sam will always be running it. It really reminded me of the last scene of The Sopranos or like a scene from Diner. Like it was, there was something very Americana about it in a way. One of the things I really liked about the way you closed out Girls is there's basically three episodes at the end that all could have been a different version of the series finale. So you've got the one with Hannah saying goodbye to her friends. You've got the one where Hannah and Adam break up. And then you have the one that actually resolves Hannah's story. And it's sort of like a not quite a choose your own adventure, but you you got to do every different kind of ending you wanted to. Was that something you were thinking about at the time? Completely. I think it was just too overwhelming, the idea of saying goodbye to these characters in one episode. And so it was almost like, let's give these people what every version of what they're asking for and give it our all to it, which is sort of like what this show did. They did three finales 
we didn't get the luxury of airing all in one night, which would have been amazing. But yeah, I think saying goodbye to characters is so painful when you've spent this much time with them. It's one thing if it's a film and it's like it's been two months and you're done, but spending this much time with characters and figuring out how to kiss them goodbye and kiss the actors goodbye, it's incredibly overwhelming. As last lines go, where would you rank something like Sam telling the the random customer, sorry, we're closed? I think it's so fucking poetic and beautiful. I would rank it way up there. I would rank it way high. I think sorry, we're closed. Because I love to skip to the ends of books and read the last line first. It tells me a lot <laughs> about what's coming for me. And sorry, we're closed is like, it's a metaphor, but it's simple. It's like very almost James Joyce. Like, yes, I said, yes, I said, yes. Like, it's very simple, <laughs> but it works. And it's also him saying, like, I'm going to continue tomorrow, but I'm also creating some space for me now. One of the things we always like to do on the podcast is to try to fill in some of the gaps that you missed by watching it in this strange way is I'm going to ask you a series of multiple choice questions. I can't wait. About th- Okay, all right. Number one, how long does it take Sam and Diane to become a couple for the first time? Is it A, the end of season one, B, the end of season three, or C, right before Shelley Long leaves at the end of season five? B, the end of season three. Uh, it was actually A, the end of season one. Would you like to see a little snippet of it? Yes! The phoniest fruitcake I ever met. Uh, you disgust me. I hate you. Are you as turned on as I am? <laughs> <laughs> It's you like amazing. That, huh? Yeah, I love it. And it somehow manages not to cross the line. I've thought about this a lot. I think what it does is, yes, Sam is angry, but she's angry too. She's and almost angrier. And he also doesn't like reach to pop her. He's like expressing an inner fantasy and she's going along with it. And it's like they're living in an alternate world where they could both beat each other up. Exactly. And one of the things, if you do go back and watch the rest, one of the things I think you'll see is that while there's definitely some sexual harassment connotations to this that wouldn't play as well in modern day, it's very clear from early on that Diane is attracted to Sam and Sam is attracted to Diane. And so there's an equivalence there that when you then get to the Rebecca seasons, it's just him shamelessly hitting on a woman who's not interested. So that's why I think they're very smartly move away from that after, after not too long. Wow. Amazing. Okay, number two, Diane is the crucial part of one of Cheer's greatest triumphs in its rivalry against another local bar, Gary's Old Town Tavern. What does Diane do? A, she chases away all of Gary's patrons on Super Bowl Sunday. B, she steals Gary's clothes in the middle of a date at a fancy restaurant. Or C, she helps win a bowling tournament against Gary's team. C, she helps win a bowling tournament. All right, let's see if you're right. Yes! Bowling! I win! I knew it! Wait for it. I love when she says, your mama. Shelley Long, like, this is, this is one of the great performances in sitcom history, I think, because Diane would be so easy to be insufferable, and she is so lovable and smart in that role. She's so perfect. All right, question three. So Frazier is introduced to the show as Diane's boyfriend after she and Sam have broken up at one point. Uh, they break up. He eventually falls for Lilith, a fellow psychiatrist played by the aforementioned B.B. Newirth. What does Lilith do to drive Fraser wild with desire? A. Take off her shoes. B. Take down her hair. Or C. Sing. B. Take down her hair. All right. Let's see if you're right. Why don't you just oblige them? Get this silliness over with so we can get on with our lives. You mean like this? Yeah. Right, right again. I, the hair. I think I'm two out of three right now. 
Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. But like, how do you feel about the fact that they get together at the end of season one, which feels like risky for what TV does now, where these things just go on forever? I actually feel relieved about it because I'm so sick of waiting till season five for people to bone. <laughs> Def, me too. Lena's been doing pretty well so far in the quiz, but whenever possible, we like to give you folks at home a chance to play along. So let's try this question. From the moment she arrives at the bar, Sam is attracted to Rebecca, but she is not the slightest bit interested in him. But in one early episode, she agrees to sleep with him if she can't stop herself from what self-destructive habit? Is it A, smoking, B, throwing herself at her wealthy boss, or C, cocaine? What do you think it is? Let's find out with some help from our Google Assistant. Hey Google, on Cheers, what habit does Rebecca try to quit? On the website jacksonupperco.com, they say, My Fair Clavin, which gives us a great subplot of Rebecca trying to quit smoking by bartering with Sam that she'll sleep with him if she has another cig. That's right, it was smoking, and it's a pretty amazing scene that I highly recommend you go to YouTube to check out, because Kirstie Alley put a lit cigarette into her mouth for the take. So I don't know how she did it, but she did. Back to the show. Okay, my daughter wanted me to ask a question that allows us to play this clip, so this is for her. Frasier often feels emasculated at the bar, especially next to Sam. What do we see him do to prove he is quote unquote dangerous? A, run with scissors, B, go swimming right after lunch, or C, pet strange dogs? (laughs) A, run with scissors. All right, let's play clip five. I'm going to pet straight. It's all three. I'm so proud of your daughter for getting that question in there. It's really good. (laughs) Diane and Frazier are her two favorites. Yeah, I love it. I can't get enough. I'm so excited to watch the rest of this show. I'm already so cozied out by it. This one goes back to when Coach was still on the show. Coach helps Sam get his GED by teaching him a song about what Eastern European country? A, Albania, B, Bulgaria, or C, Yugoslavia? C, Yugoslavia. All right, let's see if the streak continues. Albania, Albania, you border on the Adriatic. Your land is mostly mountainous. And your chief export is chrome. I'm sad I lost, and I'm also sad that as it goes on, Coach starts to look pretty sick and frail. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. He's a great character, though. He's an amazing character, and I hate seeing somebody, like, you know, physically decline. And so I'm more upset about that than I am about losing, but the Albania song's incredible. It is, and basically all the facts I know about Albania are from that song. Well, now I know them, too. It borders on the Adriatic. Yep, and its chief export is chrome. And its chief export is chrome. (laughs) Okay, Lena, now we come to the big existential question of this entire podcast, which is, was this a good way to experience Cheers for the first time? 100%, because here's the five facts. A, I would never have watched Cheers if it wasn't for this. B, I got to discuss it with a brilliant TV genius. C, I got to do my favorite thing, which I do with books, which is read the first page and the last page and then decide 
if the tonality is something that I want to get into. Uh, uh, D, I got to be surprised and elated by finding the characters all those years later. It was almost like watching that documentary, like 10, uh, you know, seven up or whatever it is, where you just learn about the characters in these seven year increments. And there was something, or like watching Boyhood or something. There was something almost like, as I said before, existential about it. And uh, E, I found my favorite new show to watch all the time at night by myself and think about Albania and how it exports Chrome. Well, Lena, thank you so, so much for coming. This was so much fun. Anytime I can revisit the show and especially with someone smart like you, it's great. Thanks for tuning into Rolling Stone and OBB Sounds Too Long Didn't Watch presented by Google Assistant. I'm Alan Sepinwall, and as much as I'd love to keep podcasting, sorry, we're closed. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the foolishness you just heard, we'd like to ask you to do the same things that all podcasts ask you for. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, and please spread the word to anyone else you know who might enjoy it too. This has been OBB Sound and Rolling Stones Too Long Didn't Watch, brought to you by Google Assistant and hosted by me, Alan Seppenwald. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, and Alyssa Walker of OBB Sound, a division of OBB Media, and Gus Winner of Rolling Stone. Co-executive produced by Arlen Kanopaki and Grace Delia of OBB Sound, and Bridget Chelsea and Maria Fontora of Rolling Stone. The production was engineered by Evan Menick and Daniel Wanacott, edited, mixed, and mastered by Michael Capuano, sound designed by Michael Capuano, original music by Daniel Wanacott, Production assistants were Jennifer Spots and Raquel Dominguez. Thank you.